Hello, welcome to Stages. I'm your host, Peter Ayers, and I wanted to start this episode by sharing some exciting information. The Stages podcast will record live in Sydney for the very first time as part of the Ideas Program at the 2022 Vivid Festival. Engaging and informative, the show is a vital chronicle of oral histories from Australia's rich arts heritage. The podcast has featured 285 conversations thus far with creative artists and performers from a range of performing arts disciplines. This three-series event at Vivid will celebrate the contribution of three key elements vital to the art of telling stories. On Thursday, June 2nd, my guest will be producer Carmen Pavlovich. Thursday, June 9th, we welcome costume designers Jennifer Irwin and Julie Lynch. And the series is completed on Thursday, June 16th, when our guest is the artistic director of the Griffin Theatre Company, Declan Green. Tickets are free, and to register, just visit the Vivid website and search for Stages Live. There are going to be three fantastic conversations, and it'll be great to have you in the audience, watching Stages on stage. We look forward to your company. And now, here's today's episode. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses with creative... Then the next block further down there was the Royal, then the Prince Edward was right opposite the Royal, then the Savoy. And we used to get fined if you were late for the half hour and fined for misbehaving on stage. Just for God's sake, do it better. (laughs) Sometimes that's all you can say. But when you've gone through that, you do get a lot of ego. And you go out there knowing that the one thing that's different every time is that audience. I didn't wake up until... I was in emergency. I was around the uh, world of actors as a child. Crawfords were needing a casting assistant. No business plan, no concept, no training. It's not something you could do now. Went to school on Friday, got on the bus on Saturday, auditioned for the show. They said, you've got the role. I never went back to school again. (laughs) Thank you. I've enjoyed being here talking about my favourite subject. Ego in check, me. (laughs) Yeah, it's a date. (laughs) It's a date. Tim Wright grew up in Albany, Western Australia. He studied at the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts. He's presently performing on Broadway in the revival production of Richard Greenberg's Take Me Out. Initial stage credits in Australia include I Own the Racecourse for Bell, Lockie Leonard, Human Torpedo for the Ensemble, and This Is Our Youth for Echelon. Regular appearances at the Melbourne Theatre Company followed with Laughter on the 23rd Floor, The Glass Menagerie, Boy Gets Girl, Metamorphosis, and the 25th Putnam County Annual Spelling Bee, also for the STC. On the Broadway stage, Tim has appeared in The Bridges of Madison County and The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, joining this show also for its US tour. Off-Broadway, he worked with the Atlantic Theatre Company on Three Kinds of Exile. Seasons of Sunset Boulevard and The Jungle at regional theatres have also enjoyed Tim's talents. Tim is nearing the end of the run of Take Me Out and also a stint in New York that has seen him realise some dreams in conquering the Broadway stage. We applaud Tim for his tenacity in making a career in New York a reality and celebrate his impressive accomplishments as he prepares to return to Australia. Tim is a lovely bloke and it was a joy to connect with him once again. From afar, he's in New York and I'm in Sydney. So it was a treat to say, hello, Tim. Well, Tim Wright, um, thank you for joining me from the other side of the world and um, another, t- another time zone. Um, and on your day off as well, so I, yeah. I doubly, doubly appreciate it. You're in New York, of course. Yes. Uh, does, that, does that time difference make it a challenge to uh, connect with, with family and friends in Oz? A, a little. Um, I've got this, I've got a system now. Um, so Emma and the boys are in Melbourne. And uh, of an afternoon, sort of early evening for me is morning for you guys, morning the next day, of course, which always feels weird. Um, But, yeah, so I can call them uh, pretty much most days I ring before the boys go to school or while they're in that chaos of getting breakfast into them and getting dressed and stuff so I can catch up with them then. That's usually the best time. So this is post-show, I guess. Yeah, or sometimes even, uh, you know, if I'm backstage, uh, 
and I've got a little bit of privacy up in the dressing room there. There's like uh, sometimes it's mid show. Nice. Yeah. Daddy's calling us direct from Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the boys are not too fussed with the whole Broadway thing at the moment, but uh, the, the, I think they were more impressed. They're more impressed if they Google me and some, you know, obscure TV credit comes up that the, they kind of enjoy that side of it. How old are they now? So uh, Lockie is almost 10 wow. and Harrison is six. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and he's quite the little ham as well. So we'll see. We'll see what his future holds. Yes, it might be in the DNA. <laughs> Possibly. Now, of course, you're one of the ensemble cast for the Broadway revival of, of Richard Greenberg's Take Me Out. But this is not your first show on Broadway. Is it, is it good to be back in New York? Yeah, it is. It's um, New York has ch- changed quite a bit during the pandemic. Of course, we were, um, you know, we were living here for, oh, I think it was like twelve or thirteen years or something before um, the pandemic hit, and then we uh, we left, uh, decided to make the move back, um, and uh, you know, COVID has been hard on everyone, and you certainly feel that in the streets of New York, the subway. Uh, you, you notice that it's a, a, a lot dirtier, and uh, it's been hard times over here, but. Um, you know, uh, I, I had this job lined up and was due to start on it uh, two days before COVID closed Broadway. Um, so when they, uh, the company Second Stage, stuck to their guns and really wanted to to make sure it came back, I, I really wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to uh, be a part of that kind of Broadway reopening thing. I, I, I felt that was, I, I felt it would be a special thing and and just. Uh, a nicer way to leave New York than the initial fleeing the perils of COVID and Trump and all the other stuff, you know. Um, and it was, you know, the, the the first preview, the audience just went bananas at the start of the show. And, I've, and I think most of the shows that have uh, opened or reopened um, post-COVID, I think that's been a general feel that everyone's had this kind of overwhelming feeling from the audience of... Um, of uh, delight and like a thank God Broadway is back, you know, and, and that was that was pretty special. Was, had, in 2020, was the show in rehearsal or were you just about to start? Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm an understudy in the show. I'm covering two, uh, two tracks, uh, Jesse Tyler Ferguson and another uh, uh, older actor here, Ken Marks, and um, they had been in rehearsal for I think maybe three weeks. Um, I'm not sure how they do it in Australia, but here they tend to start rehearsals and then pull the understudies in a few weeks down the track once things have progressed a bit. Um, And so they were three weeks into rehearsal and almost getting ready to go to the theatre to start tech and stuff. And and us understudies were just about to join and and then everything shut. That was it. And at the time they were like, we'll put a two-week hiatus and then you know, the rest is history after that. But but fortunately for this um, production, the entire cast all came back and pretty much everyone associated with the show. Um, so they were, everyone was very committed and keen and and stuck with it. With the, the prevalence of COVID around at the moment, do you find that maybe the understudy tracks are, are being started earlier? Um, just in case anything should happen? Uh, I think, oh, look, I'd like to think they are in some shows. Um, certainly in the bigger musicals, I would think that they would be wanting to start people as soon as possible to give them as much time as possible. There's been a lot of, um, uh, I think, uh, increasing the numbers of covers, Uh and uh, I mean, even in even in our show, uh, they did add in just last week. They added three more understudies um, to our company um, because there was another kind of wave of COVID in the theatres here. There was, I think, there was one production here that had you know like uh, like thirty people in the company or something all had it, and and so there's daily you sort of see reports here of. Uh, shows that are in previews uh, having a 
pause and, you know, sort of closing up for a week. Um, so that's all been happening again, you know. Um, uh, Daniel Craig had it in his in his show and then uh, Math, um, uh, was it? Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker had it and, uh, and Matthew Broderick. And so the, all those shows, I think, have gone... Uh, a, a little more cautious and uh, insured themselves a bit more by paying a little bit more attention to how many understudies they need and how much prep time they need, you know, so we're not all running on last minute and <laughs> <laughs> with with no rehearsal and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's certainly a consideration nowadays because the show must go on. But even, oh, yes. you know, in Australia, you're seeing a lot more swings employed on musicals and, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, state companies like Sydney Theatre Company and Melbourne Theatre Company are employing understudies for the first time, I think, yeah. to ensure, ensure the shows can go on. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, it's it, it seems to me such a simple uh, a solve, you know, like, um, well, one, it's great. It's Understudies are great to have anyway because it's, it's an opportunity for them to uh, get work and to, to learn the... The, their craft and stuff as well and i mean in the big scheme of things it seems to me such a small expenditure as compared to shutting a show like cancelling a performance you know that's however well depending on the size of the theater but it might be 500 or it might be 2000 ticket holders you've got to now reaccommodate you, you put that up against a couple of wages for some understudies i think it it makes absolute sense yeah, yeah smart investment so how do you um, learn and maintain the role? Do you, do you get to um, watch the show regularly? And uh, do you have- Yeah, I mean, we can watch it as much as we want. Um, we're pretty much selling out most nights now, so there's, we can't really sit in uh, any seats in the theatre, but we can go in and uh, this particular theatre has uh, plenty of room at the back of the mares where you can go and uh, sort of stand to watch bits and also, we're we're able to access uh, the this the theatre um, without like opening doors and making noise and stuff. So we can kind of sneak in and out um, up the back, which I kind of really like. So you know, so we can hang out in a dressing room, chatting, um, and then or running lines or whatever to to maintain, and then um, you know quickly run up the stairs and just watch the bits that you need to see. You know to 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 keep your finger on the pulse with that stuff. And also there's, you know, there's monitors in the in the um, dressing rooms as well. So you can just sit and watch and run lines on that if you want to as well. Yeah. Have you gone so on that's yet? That's pretty much what we do. I haven't. I haven't yet. No, we've had some really good rehearsals. Uh, we, we rehearse one, one day a week, um, the understudies, to, to um, actually have some time with the associate director and, uh, and the director, him, um, Scott Ellis, came in uh, for one understudy session um, where we ran some scenes and did some work with him uh, a week or two ago as well. Um, but no, thus far, my, my guys have been healthy. We did have a couple of guys in the main cast uh, go out and so there was a point there where we had two of the understudies on uh, and those guys cover multiple tracks as well. So I think that was the point where the company went, Oh, we need some more understudies here because if one of we were like one person away, if one more the wrong person got sick, then we were in trouble. <laughs> it's a real um, jigsaw puzzle, isn't it? Working out who can come oh, yeah. to who and yes, yes, or the various scenarios. Uh, the Broadway theatres are they're very intimate out front. They're very close together, which is what you want for theatre. You want to be up mm-hmm. there and, and feel part of it. What you're playing in the the Helen Hayes Theatre um, with Take mm. Me Out. What's it like backstage? Is it as small and cramped as what it would seem to be from from out front? Yeah, it's pretty tight. It is pretty tight back there, um, and I feel like that's I, I do feel like that's the case in a lot of the theatres. Which, which is, you know, when you're understudying also makes things a little tricky that the, there's not the space back there for us to go and uh, track one of the people we're covering um, to find out what their backstage life is like. Because, yeah, I mean, as you point out, like there's a lot that happens back there and there's quick changes and, you know, there's uh, it's like a dance back there a lot of the time, um, you know, when you've got, you've got the crew back there and you've got the cast who are kind of weaving in and out of each other trying to get to their next entrance or a costume change they've got to do. And 
so we don't really get to see any of that. So that's uh, that's the other tricky thing. You know, if you do go on, you want to try and find a little bit of time to learn how to navigate that stuff. And unfortunately, you know, everyone, all the crew and and the dressers on these shows are all amazing and have been doing it for such a long time. Um, that you you come to rely on them to a degree, you know that that because you haven't had a chance most often to to know that stuff when you're back there, that they'll help you get out of whatever it is you're wearing, tell you to put on whatever they're handing you, and and almost guide you to where you need to go. Um, so you do sort of rely on those guys a bit, but but yes, it is it's always a bit squishy back and side stage on these things. Now, having sat in the audience of, of uh, quite a few Broadway shows now, um, I'm always amazed at the number of standing ovations that, that shows get. Uh, you've been involved yeah. in three shows now, and, and they've all been excellent shows, so I'm sure standing ovations are, are warranted. But do you find that in Broadway that seems to be part of the experience for audiences, that they they want to stand up and, and get on their feet at the end or, or are they just stretching their legs because they've been so cramped all night? <laughs> Maybe it's a bit of both. Um, no, look, I definitely do. I remember when I first came to New York, uh, like on a just on a holiday to visit people and, and went to a bunch of Broadway shows and that was something that struck me as well, that there were some shows that I saw that I leapt to my feet because I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing and, um, but then there were others that were definitely less so, but I feel like they still got standing ovations. I feel like everyone still stands. It's just how quickly they get up, I think, or how enthusiastic they are when they do it. Um, so, yeah, I do, I do think it's part of the experience for sure. Um, I don't know if part of it is a lot of time people have spent so much money on these shows <laughs> that it's part of, validating that they've gotten their money's worth or something. But, um, uh, yeah, but I'm pleased to say that in this particular show, it's a very, the, the crowd is like ready to get up. They're very, very enthusiastic at the, um, at the end of this performance. Well, it sounds like the revival is, is very much resonating with audiences. I, I think the play is, is about 10 years old, is it? It's, it's about 20. Um, 20, is it? Is it that my time flies? Yeah. It's um, and it's it it really is, and it's kind of it's kind of amazing. I'm not going to do any spoilers or anything, but there's a line in a show that um, Mason says, and uh, that's the character played by uh, Jesse Tyler Ferguson. He's the uh, he's the non-baseballer in the show, um, and there's a line he says that is more resonant now than it was when it was written. And, and it's something that we discovered at the, I think it was, it maybe even was in the first preview when he had, when we had a full house and he said this line, uh, which is in the middle of this, you know, big monologue that he does. And he was about to carry on to the next line and the audience all started applauding, like this kind of thing filtered through them. And it was like this, joke that they got that we all suddenly went oh this line is now about trump it's become and and people's response to that um uh it's yeah it's a line he he says about democracy uh and he's comparing democracy and baseball um and he says that uh uh democracy uh the baseball is better than democracy because baseball acknowledges loss and then carries on to some other stuff. But then with the whole Trump refusing to admit he lost, it became this whole other thing. And it's quite amazing to me now that people who've seen the show think that's been updated, like as part of, uh, you know, just a bit of revising stuff to make it more current. And it really isn't. It just is there. It was there, you know, originally. And, and I feel like there's... There's a lot of stuff like that in the show that um, in some ways is more resonant, I think. So, it's yeah, it's it's interesting. That's, yes, it's quite an uh, extraordinary experience. I remember the last time I was there, I saw a couple of shows and it, obviously not intentional, oh, except maybe American Psycho in which he worshipped Trump and that kind uh-huh. of laughs. But then mm-hmm. The King and I was on as well and The King at some point says, um, I'm going to build a wall 
around this palace and you know right people because trump was on his wall fix there yeah um so it's quite extraordinary how um yeah you can have those contemporary resonances it's great isn't it it's so great um you were you've been in the new york for a while now you were there uh, under the obama regime and also trump mm. what was that experience like going from one extreme to the other oh it was it really was crazy uh and kind of depressing actually um there was a point i remember there was a point where i you know i would read the news when i was having my breakfast in the morning and uh, talking about walls i kind of hit a wall with um with when trump when trump was at his height here i kind of i got so depressed reading the news each day just reading about what the latest thing was and uh I had to kind of stop. I mean, it was part of the reason that we, we were always planning to move back to Australia at some stage. It was just a case of when for us, really. And and then when uh, COVID kind of came and closed everything down, and and the schools and uh, it was it, things became pretty tough here. It was it was really bad here when it first took off, and uh, and dealing with all the Trump stuff on top of that, it was just too much. And um, yeah, it was it was really hard, and it's still not great. I mean, um, coming back here now, and if if I read anything to do with the politics here in America, it really kind of depresses me. Um, yeah, it's because it, the gap seems to be getting bigger. The insanity seems to be rising. So I don't know. Yeah, and uh, the pandemic certainly hasn't helped either. The, the um, yeah, no, and, and I mean, the focus and, you know, and, of everything. That's right, and, and you know, and they're dealing with that, and as is the rest of the world, people are now sort of coming to terms with just living with it. That this is what it is now, and and people have stopped to a large degree, sort of locking everyone away, and and um, uh, which I think is probably the way that we have to go. But um, yeah, it's it still feels crazy times a bit. Were you a baseball fan or had you played baseball before uh, Take Me Out? You know, I never had. I, I, watch, I will watch any sport. If there's any sport on television, I will watch it. I, I'm, I love watching sport. And so I did follow baseball. When we moved to America, um, because we were in New York, we uh, kind of deemed that we had to follow the Yankees. And the first year, actually, that Emma and I came here was the last time I think the Yankees won the World Series. Um, so, uh, so that was great. And we did go to quite a few baseball games, which I really love as well. Uh, and uh, I've done that again here now. But, um, but then uh, they have this thing here uh, with Broadway. They, they have a Broadway softball league. So every year... Uh, whatever companies are playing on Broadway, they submit these softball teams. And I did that with my first show. It was one of the great experiences of doing my first Broadway show was getting to be a part of this Broadway softball league, you know, where we submitted a team for Bridges of Madison County and we had our, um, our tops on, the, you know, we got our kit with the, with the name of the show on it and we met in... In Central Park, you play in these in the middle of Central Park, yeah. and and you know, and I'm there with a a baseball glove, and in the middle of Central Park on like these beautiful sunny days in a Broadway show, and I was like, oh man, how like how good is this? <laughs> like combining these great things that I love, and I was like, oh, it was just so great, and so. Um, we do have a, a Broadway uh, softball team for Take Me Out and like a heap of different people who wanted to play it. So uh, we were due to start next week, but with the most recent sort of COVID waves, they suspended out for a couple of weeks. Um, so I'm hoping next week or the week after we get out on the field, but it's such fun. So well, great. A, a play about the national pastime, you would think you would have an advantage would be a bit little unfair. <laughs> you'd, you'd like to think so, but, you know, but then I'm in the team, and an Australian who swings a baseball bat like it's a cricket bat. One of the other guys is uh, from South Africa originally, so he's never picked up a baseball bat either. He and I are talking all in cricket terms, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so we'll see. We'll see how good we are. Yeah. 
the play, of course, is a, about a, a champion baseball player who decides to come out and declare his homosexuality. Uh, mm. 20 years ago, that would have been quite a big thing, I imagine. Well, I'm not, I imagine I know in sport, but today it doesn't seem people don't blink an eye if that happens. Yeah, interesting, though, because uh, because still now, all this time later, no one, no current playing Major League Baseballer has come out. Um, that still that hasn't happened. That's, right, yeah. Whereas basketballers yeah. have, haven't they? Yeah. I think so, and I think even in NFL. Um, but at the moment, and, and the thing with this, with this particular show is, is that it is the the star baseballer, like the absolute gun of the team is the one who comes out. And that has not happened. Um, we had a great meeting uh, in, uh, in rehearsals with uh, this wonderful man called Billy Bean, who is uh, played in the major leagues for, I think for about 10 years. Um, and Billy, uh, Billy came out as gay after he left Major League Baseball, about I think about four or five years after. Um, and it was so interesting talking to him about, uh, about that experience and how, uh, I mean, when he was playing, it was, it was you know, it was in the days before uh, all of the social media world. And um, so he was able, able to enjoy uh, a degree of anonymity uh, but still to talk to him and he's written a book as well but but to talk to him about what it was like to play base, uh, baseball uh, with this secret that he felt he just could not he couldn't share that that it would be the death of his career if that news got out um, yeah, and and I, although there's a lot more awareness now and a lot more acceptance, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting that still that still you don't see it happening. Um, yeah, so so that's I think another reason why the play still feels it's so very current. Yeah. Now, Tim, back in Australia uh, a few years ago, you grew up in Albany in Western Australia. Yeah, I did. I did. You say Albany. 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 Al- <laughs> now, it's probably yeah, yeah. because I'm from, I'm from the East Coast, but I've always said yeah. Albany, but but it is actually, yes, Albany. Yeah, over right. in the West, we call it Albany, and then on the East, it becomes Albany. You're right. Yes. Right, right. right. Yeah. But, uh, a beautiful part of, of the country, as I say, that I, I remember that um, that whale station that was there. That yes. Sort of has the ghosts of, uh, of much marine life. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Um, my my dad worked there at one point, uh, as I think most men in Albany did. Um, you know, when that was running, it was such a huge employer. Um, and yeah, I think it was the last active whaling station in Australia. It closed, I think, in nineteen seventy seven. But yeah, I, I, I've been there a, f- a few times myself. When you know, if I've had. Uh, people visiting from overseas and I've happened to be in Albany. It's like one of those places to go visit because it's kind of staggering to see how this thing used to, to function. Yeah. It's like on the, Creepy the, as well. <laughs> the, the southernmost tip of WA yes. too down there. It's a, it's yeah, a it way. is. Yeah. It is. It's a beautiful area. It really is. And I haven't been back there for a very long time, but I'm looking forward to going back this year. Are your parents still there? Parents are still there. My uh, Older sister is there, and my uh, my uh, have an older brother as well, but he lives up north in WA now. But but we're all going to be getting together this uh, Christmas, we're hoping, and my younger sister too. So that'll be the first time we've all been together in Albany for a very very long time, and for uh, for for me and my little family unit, uh, Harrison has never been there, so he I'm excited for that for him. Mm. So what were the creative influences and the, and the artistic pursuits that you had um, growing up in Albany? So I, uh, I, I started out in, uh, in the school choir when I was in primary school, which led to uh, then being thrust into a couple of musicals at primary school. <laughs> and, uh, and then it sort of just steadily grew from there, I guess. 
I didn't really, I didn't really pursue it until uh, I guess I, I guess when I was in high school, uh, one of my best mates there uh, was in this uh, kind of kids theatre company that he and some other uh, kids had established, and um, it was called Coco Youth Theatre Company, and it was it was kind of like a lifeline. Um, for me, I, you know, I, I played soccer. I did a lot of sporting stuff and, uh, you know, I had some good friends at school, but I didn't love the high school experience. Um, and uh, my mate there, Benj, uh, who I played soccer with, he was in this theatre company, this kid's theatre company, and, and told me about it. And I went along and it just, I just loved it. I just felt such a great connection with the other kids there and the, um, the artistic director that they had that was kind of leading everything. And, um, you know, we we wrote our own stuff and we, you know, uh, it was just such a great exploration for me. And um, I made some great friendships in that and it sort of grew from there. And then, and then it was uh, after that that uh, when I moved to, uh, to Perth to actually to, to study nursing. I was uh, training to be a nurse. Um, and at that point, Benj was at Curtin University where the nursing uh, the nursing school was there as well. And so we were hanging out there and I managed to squeeze into a couple of theatre electives at, at, uh, at the Heyman Theatre there in Curtin Uni. And that just made it grow more, you know. And, uh, and then I just always, I was always drawn back to it after that performing and um, yeah, I did end up graduating from nursing and did go and nurse and work for a few years, but I was it was always kind of pulling me back and and uh, and so at some point, I think I was coming home from a nursing shift and falling asleep at the wheel because I was also in the evenings rehearsing a show in Kalamunda or somewhere, and it was killing me doing both. And there was a point where I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't. The, the performing is what I want to do, so I'm going to quit. I'm going to leave nursing, and and I did. And then, uh, and then Whopper followed soon after that. And then you know, and then that was it. It was all over after that. It was just this is what I'm going to be doing now. You you'd uh, drunk the Kool Aid, <laughs> totally <laughs> supped from the fountain at at uh, at Whopper. So how did you learn about Whopper? Uh, again. Um, uh, so my great friend Benj Dario, who uh, you know, who I did Coco, who I was in Coco U Theatre with, and, and we played soccer together for all my childhood and and you know my early teen years and stuff. Um, he he kind of put me onto it. He had gone there, and uh, and then I just wanted to do the same. So it seemed like a like a a potential avenue. Um, so I, I pursued it, uh, and and fortunately got in. And um, yeah, he was so Benj was, I think he was one year ahead of me. So we didn't get to do any shows together while we were at Whopper, but you know, but we lived together and and uh, with a couple of other great friends that we made at Whopper and and in one of these famed Whopper share houses, you know, where all the students kind of pile into a four bedroom house in Mount Lawley or somewhere. And then that's yep. a year away for the next three years. Yeah. It was great. I did not know that you knew, had known Benj for so long. He was in my year at Wobber. Yeah. Yeah. Benj and I've been friends for, oh, it's almost scary to say it's got to be, it's got to be like 40 years now, almost, you know, since, um, primary school playing soccer against each other. He was, he went, we went to different schools. So, we were enemies on the soccer pitch, but um, uh, but then once we once we ended up in high school together, uh, our friendship really kind of took off after that, and um, yeah, it was great. He uh, he's still acting, isn't he, in Perth? In his he is, wife, yeah, Alison. yeah. He is. He's always doing stuff, and and Alison as well. She's she. They've always got stuff on the go. You know, it's it's uh, it's great. I'm so happy for both of them, and I can't wait to visit them at the end of the year as well. Now, we folk from the eastern states going over to Whopper, the other side of the country, was a huge uh, adventure, um, mm. not, not quite knowing 
uh, what West Australia was about. You know, is this opera? Is this going to be this tin shed in the middle of the desert? <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. it was. It was very daunting. But what was it like for a local to be? Uh, to be heading off to to Wapper because I suppose you're still your, your folks were still a fair distance away I guess yeah yeah mum and dad were still down in Albany which is you know it's like a four and a half hour drive away it's not something that you go to every other weekend or um, although I did do that when I first left to go up to to study nursing I would drive back every couple of weeks but uh, so by that by the time I was going to Wapper I'd been living away from home for. A number of years um and uh i I just i loved i I loved the whole whopper life i really did um i think prior to that i hadn't uh hadn't lived in like a a student housing situation really before Uh, um and uh i i loved that i loved you know going to going to school and learning this stuff and then coming home and hanging out with this with such like-minded people it was it was just such a great time i mean you know we had um benj and i lived together for a number of years and uh you know the the other fun thing is every year someone would graduate and then you had a spare room and you had to get someone else in so you know you're like you know we we were interviewing the newcomers from from across the state that were flying in to start their first year and then we ended up, of course, with Simon Gleason as our uh, as one of our roommates as well. And Gleason and I are still great mates, and uh, I love catching up with him. And he's he's another fantastic performer. Um, yeah, it's great times. Like a long running soap opera, and there's a new cast of characters every year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, what was the first gig you scored out of Whopper? Uh, so, out of Whopper, I moved to Sydney. Uh, primarily because uh, that's where Benj was and uh, some of my other close friends uh, had also decided that they would pitch up in Sydney instead of Melbourne. Um, so I ended up in a share house there with Benj and uh, with Donald Ford at one point and uh, Brendan Munger, I think, at one point from, from Whopper days as well. So it kind of felt like a bit of an extension of Whopper. Um, and then uh, the first show I the first professional theatre gig, I think, was a play that was tied to the Bell Shakespeare Company. It was uh, a school touring production um, called I Own the Race Course that was an adaptation of a book, I believe. Um, and so that was my first gig. Uh, yeah, it was, it was. it's always nice to get a job, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It was. It wasn't a. You know, it wasn't an immensely long run or anything. But I, at the time, I was like, Bell Shakespeare was such a, and still are such a, a revered company and something that I really wanted to try and get into. So it seemed like a, a good foot in the door way to maybe start that journey. Yes, it's great to 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 leave the training institution and sort of really get your teeth finally stuck into a career. But um, and you, of course, you are a cook with a lot of skills at, at a place like Whopper. But it's really not mm-hmm. until you get out and start gigging that you really do learn so much more on the job. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you on that. It's um, it's one thing to. I, I feel like Whopper gives you Whopper for me. Uh, gave me tools. It gave me tools that I didn't have before in terms of what's my technique going to be, like what's my process going to be. Um, and then once you start in the in the real big world performing and doing these shows, I agree, like you learn so much from watching other performers and from watching how the director works and this collaboration that happens and, and uh, and just from working with those directors, these genius minds, and and uh, what what they can impart to you, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, Lockie Leonard, Human Torpedo at the Ensemble, you did, uh, yes. written by Tim Winton. Now, now Tim yeah. Winton is a WA writer, and is he yeah. Al- Albany? I think he is Albany. A lot of the stuff he wrote is about, uh, like when you read his stories, there's stuff in there that's uh, about the high school school that I went to so when there were times when I read his stuff I was like oh I know where he's talking about when he talks about um uh like certain foresty areas and stuff it's like oh yeah it's yeah 
a great, beautiful writer. Oh, I still remember this. That, I don't know if you saw that production of Cloud Street. They did it. I think it was yeah. Belvoir. Yeah. Oh, just blew me away. Yeah. Yeah. Stunning stuff. Uh, now you got behind a production of "This Is Our Youth" by Kenneth Lonergan. You uh, you got that up, didn't you? As well as being in it. Yeah, yeah. I it. It's it's so long ago now that I sort of can't remember how I came across the script. I don't know if I found it or if uh, or if Ditch Davy found it. I, anyway, I ended up with the script at some point, and you know, when I moved from Sydney to Melbourne, I kind of found it hard to get a foothold in Melbourne. So uh, I wanted to put. I wanted to do a show. I wanted to act like we all do, and uh, I decided I'd I'd put my own thing on. And and I've uh, I found a way to do that. Got this script that just I loved. And and the nice thing about doing things that way is you you, you get to pick the people that you want to work with, you know. And and so uh, so I. I uh, gave it to Amanda Levy to read from Amanda, who I'd done Guys and Dolls with at Curtin Uni and, um, you know, as Nathan and Adelaide. And then she went to Whopper and I knew her through Whopper. And I'd always loved her and loved watching her perform. And, and I was, she was perfect for the, for the role in that. And then, and, and Ditch was the same. Ditch I'd never worked with because he was a year below me at Whopper, but I was a big admirer. And um, just loved the opportunity to work with him. And then uh, Jolly and James, who was a year above me at Whopper, I, you know, he, and he was interested in directing. And so we grabbed him in to direct. And it was such a, just such a great experience putting this show on. And it's such a fantastic play. And I, I just had the best time with those guys. And the, and, and the show itself was, uh, was really great, I think, and uh, helped. I, I feel like it sort of helped move me forward in in Melbourne and and try and get a bit more of a foothold there, which is like an added bonus. It's kind of the reason, I guess, or one of the reasons you do those things, almost as like another kind of showcase to be able to say, "Hey, I'm, I'm I've got this show. It's on, and I'm in it. And can you come and see me? And then maybe you'll start letting me audition for stuff." And um, it, it definitely was that, but was uh, an amazing sort of piece and experience in and of itself. Yes, you couldn't be more correct. You, you can't sit around waiting for the phone to ring. You sometimes have to yeah. go out there and, and make your own work. Yeah. Yeah, well, certainly, absolutely. certainly worked because then, you, you know, the whole slay of productions that you then do with the Melbourne Theatre Company, Laughter on the 23rd Floor, The Glass Menagerie, yeah. Boy Gets Girl, uh, Spelling Bee, uh, all shows which require an American accent. You, yes. and that was going to stand you in good stead uh, later on when you moved to the states. But um, yeah, you you obviously could do a good accent. Yeah, I've always had a good ear for accents, uh, and uh, you know, my wife Emma will play on me with that when she when I'm reading a book to the kids. She often will want me to do stuff in an accent, so I'll do my best for them. But um, yeah, I kind of really enjoy it. I really like. Uh, it's like another layer speaking or another thing that's not yourself. Um, and I think I really like that. Um, yeah, so I've done a, a ton of stuff in America. I feel like I've very rarely done stuff with an Australian accent, which is the funny thing of it. Um, I do like it here. I, I haven't lost my accent at all. And people uh, often comment on that here. It's always funny walking into like a rehearsal room for the first time. Like on this show, when we walked in on day one to meet all the cast and everyone's American, everyone's got American accents and, you know, we're all meeting each other and I'm, g'day, I'm Tim, I'm from Australia and it just is so jarring in one way. But um, but then great fun to, to throw the accent on to, to do the actual work. Um, yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. What instigated the move abroad to to the US? You just you wanted to throw your hat in the ring and see how you went. It was always yeah, a long term goal, or it was. Look, it was never a long term goal for me to end up in America. I, I kind of, as uh, even when I was younger, when I when I went into nursing, you know, you you leave high school and. Uh, you're trying to figure out what you're what you're going to do for the rest of your life, right? Like, and uh, 
I never thought acting was something that people did and earned money. I was just doing it because I loved it. And uh, so I went and became a nurse. And then, like I, as I said, I reached a point where I was like, well, I don't want to do this anymore. And, and I, was, I thought, well, I know people who do this now and that's what they do. They make money doing this. And it's, it's, look, it's not always great. You don't always make a lot of money, as we all know. But um, I think once I'd made that decision, uh, I just kind of went for it. And I, and, and I felt in Australia, it, it was never easy for me in Australia. Sydney was really hard. I felt like getting work in Sydney was really, really hard. And that's ultimately why I moved to Melbourne, because I just... Sydney's not a for me was not a fun place to be when you're not working. If you're working and you're earning money and everything, great, beautiful place, it's great. And uh, but that wasn't my life there. So I moved to Melbourne in the pursuit of that. And then in Melbourne, despite the success and uh, you know the, the all those shows you mentioned with MTC, I, I loved. It was uh, great, and I I felt like my career was progressing but very, very slowly. And it, it never felt like I was getting to a point that I wanted to get to. It was still kind of a struggle. So really the move abroad happened because I, I, I just thought, well, I just, I need to do something else. I've got to, I've got to try somewhere else. I've got to try somewhere else again. So um, at the time I wasn't able to, to work in uh, America because of visas and etc but i did have a british citizenship so emma and i went and lived in england for uh four or five years um you know and uh and that was worse um <laughs> which was so you know we moved to london and um and then i and started again and i found it really hard to get an agent found it really hard to get auditions and uh, I got really, I got really close to a couple of great gigs that didn't happen with the National Theatre, and and so then we won the green card lottery, and we were like, well, okay, let's try America. Then this hasn't worked, this has failed. Let's try America. So that was the move, and then we came here, and fortunately, uh, America took it. It took me uh, a little bit of time again. It was, you know. It was a grind again at the start, rocking up to the equity open call things at five in the morning to line up with all the other hopefuls and just for the chance to audition for something, not even to, you may not even get seen, you know, uh, and that was hard, but started all that again, tried to get an agent. That was really hard. Finally uh, managed to get an agent, uh, one in the entire city that was interested enough to meet me. Um you know, and then just kind of slowly chipped away and, and then got a, uh, a really nice uh, job here over in uh, at the Pioneer Theatre Company in Utah doing uh, Artie in Sunset Boulevard, where it was my first theatre gig in the States. And enough kind of happened that made me feel like, oh, yeah, this this might still work. It might. There's, I'm, I feel like I'm chipping away. I'm getting good feedback. And, uh, and then... Finally, you know, uh, Bridges happened and uh, that started out as an out-of-town thing as well at the William, Williamstown Theatre Festival. Um, uh, but there were whispers that if that went well, it was going to, it was probably going to go to Broadway, which it did. And, you know, I had to audition again for the Broadway production, but thankfully they stuck with me. And, uh, and, and then that was, that was it. I was, I was, I'd made it onto Broadway, which was, uh, which was great, which is a great feeling. And um, yeah, but, but, you know, but then that show ends and you start all over again and, and that's kind of the gig really. Did Always all that happen? That. What sort of time frame did all that happen in after arrival? You know, when we got here, I said, I remember I, I sitting down with some other uh, great actor friends here um, uh, Adam Fiorentino, who you'll know from Australia and, Darren Zanotto, his uh, lovely wife, who you also will know from performing in, in Australia. And uh, they had talked about, you know, setting goals and stuff. And so I, I remember talking with them and thinking, right, I'm going to give my, um, within five years, I want to have done like a, t like a good TV guest role and uh, I want to get on Broadway. Like I want, I want those two things to happen. And it happened within that time frame. 
I, I feel like the Pioneer Theatre gig maybe took maybe took like a, a year or two years. Um, and then Broadway was probably another couple of years after that. So I, I think it was probably around four or five years that it took to get the, the first Broadway gig. Um, yeah. And then luckily for me that when Bridges sadly closed, a uh, curious incident came up very quickly after that. That was, um, yeah. But, you know, but there's so many misses in between all that where, or, you know, the ones that you almost got that, yeah, it was, it, it didn't, it wasn't easy, but, um, but it, but it did finally, I did finally get there. Hmm. Well, I was, I was at home. I'd lost track of you, uh, probably uh, after Melbourne, I think. And then I'm watching TV one night, fabulous series called Smash, you know, about um, ah, yes. the creation of a Broadway musical. It was, you know, it was exploring new ground in, in television. And I thought, oh, that actor looks like Tim Wright. Yeah. Look at the credits. Oh my God, it was Tim Wright. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You were part of that, that, uh, well, it's probably very much a cult show now. Um, yeah, it is. I, I it wish is. I wish it had had gone on. And there's talk all the time about it being a stage musical in, in New York and Broadway. Yeah, um, there's still talk of that. How did you score the the smash gig? So, a lot of, I feel like a lot of my success here actually came from uh, this amazing job that I fell into. Um, at, a, at one of the major casting companies here, um, Telsey's, uh, so uh, Bernard Telsey's casting agency. Um, so the the company of uh, Priscilla were coming over. They were going to do Priscilla on Broadway, and I knew Simon Phillips from MTC, and his uh, associate Dean Bryant, who's I was a great friend with, and Dean directed Amanda and I in a a production of last five years in Melbourne that we did at 45 downstairs. So they were coming over to cast that and Dean reached out to me and said, can you come in and be a reader for us, for Priscilla? You know, it'll be great to have someone in there with an Aussie accent that's reading this stuff opposite people. Uh, and I was like, yeah, great. I'd love to do that. So I went in and I was the reader on this, um, on these auditions and and that again, that was another thing I didn't think I didn't even explore that as a possibility. I didn't know that existed. A read, being a reader in auditions, um, and then uh, so I did that. And then I remember after one of the sessions, one of the uh, casting directors at Telsey's was like, "Can you do an American accent?" And I said, "Yeah, absolutely." He was like, "Can you? I've got a couple of hours of reading tomorrow for auditions for I can't even remember what it was, something else." And I was like, uh, yeah, great. I'd love to do that. And so I went back the next day and did a couple of hours reading on this other thing. And then they started using me for reading. And um, oh, I remember one day, one of the, they asked me to come in and be the reader on Angels in America that was doing a, a, rem a, a revival. Um, and uh, it was kind of last minute, but I was super excited to do it because um, Tony Kushner was going to be in the room and I was like, oh, yes, get me in there. Like I will, I can't wait. I love the show. I'd love to read the material. And I remember the casting director coming out of the room right before I was about to go in for these auditions to start. He had never met me before. And I said, g'day to him. And he was like, he kind of looked at me and was like, you can do an American accent, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah absolutely. And he, and he said, just be American the whole time. And I was like, okay. Cause I guess that he didn't want the creative team to be like, what's going on here? What's so, so I went into this room and introduced myself all as an American sat down, did the readings all as an American and the creative team really liked me. So I became the reader for all of the auditions on that production. And there was a lot of auditions uh, you know, and it was reading opposite, um, like amazing, amazing actors. Uh, you know, I was, I was reading with Zachary Quinto at one point and Zach Braff and all these fantastic guys. Um, and I loved it. I, I, I just had such a great time with it. And 
and the more confident I got with it, the creative team started encouraging me to uh, not just to sit in the chair and read opposite these people, but to get up and, and be in the scene with them. I think they found that more helpful in the casting process. And I think the actors I was working with found it more helpful as well. Um, so, yeah, so we did that. And that just was such, it opened so many doors for me, uh, I really feel. And, um, you know, at the end of that process, when I realised it was the last day of casting and I wouldn't see this team again, I, I dropped the accent for the first time right, this was like at least a month of doing this and went and just thanked them all. And they, their jaws kind of dropped and they were like, whoa, whoa, hang on. <laughs> Are you not American? And I was like, no, I'm from Australia. And they were like, oh, my God. Like we, they just kind of were blown away that I held up this facade for so long, you know. Um, anyway, so it was such a great experience. And then I read for Telsey's forever for after that, just for such a long time on so many great things and they were amazing to me they they would get me in for things but then smash they came to cast smash and i was their reader on all of that stuff and then they just called one day and were like do you want to be in this i was like sure i would love to and and you know it was smaller there was smaller roles that they were looking to fill stuff for but they knew me enough at that point that they didn't need me to read for casting director three or whatever so they were just like well we're just gonna get you we'll just get you in and we'll have you do some stuff and so they contacted my agent and just set it up and off i went and then i was suddenly in that world which was great as well so you know a- one thing leads to another and and yeah. uh yeah it was it was just amazing what a fa- fabulous story um just from being mm. in the room the room where it happens yeah absolutely absolutely curious incident of the dog in the night time you did that for quite a few years, didn't you? Yeah, I did. That was one of those jobs. I didn't know much about it, to be honest, when it first came here. Um, so I was doing Bridges, which was a beautiful, beautiful show, but just never found its audience. And so we closed uh, a lot earlier than we all expected we would close. And I remember being devastated at that, that this, you know, my first Broadway job and this show that I adored and it just didn't cut it financially. Um, and so that finished and auditions came around for Curious Incident right around the same time, really close to one another. And I went in and all I knew about it was uh, that it was uh, that it had been at the National Theatre and that Marianne Elliott was directing. And I'd met Marianne a couple of years earlier when I auditioned for War Horse in the States which was a very kind of lengthy process for me. I feel like I went in so many times and it felt like I felt like she liked me and wanted to use me but couldn't fit me anywhere. Um, I think it was just one of those situations. That's how I viewed it anyway. So when this came around, I was like, oh, I've auditioned for her before and I think she likes me, so I think this could be a possibility. Uh, and I went in and I auditioned for that and there was a huge movement component to that that as well so there was auditions for that and um and then unfortunately they offered me uh an uh, an understudy track on that covering the father in the show which was such a great role um so yeah so that happened and uh everyone i mentioned it to who you know i was like oh i'm doing curious incident anyone i spoke to about it they were all like oh my god that show's amazing i've Oh, I've heard this, and I knew none of that. So I was like, oh, great. Okay, well, that sounds good. They were, they were pumped for it. And um, it ended up being this just one of the greatest theatrical experiences of my, uh, of my life, I think, where it was just such a beautiful company. And uh, we just it's, it had such a, we felt so integrated and such a, uh, a strong bond with all of those other performers and the company. And the show was a huge, huge hit. It ran for two years on Broadway, which for a play is kind of staggering, I think. Um, but it is a play that had, you know, musical ele- musical elements to it, I think, in, in that it, the, the lighting was sensational and it had this incredible set design and there was music played throughout it with various uh, transitions and things and, uh, to get you inside the head of this uh, this central character and this amazing move, movement component that was uh, 
uh, so integral and and, and also uh, just very rewarding to be a part of. But yeah, that ran for two years on Broadway, and then and then toured the country for a year as well, um, which I also did um, at the time. Uh, it seemed like a crazy idea because we had a five-year-old child and a one-year-old at that point. But so when the when it we first got the idea of it being a possibility, we just thought we can't do that as a family. That would be insane. But then we thought, well, the kids are actually, they're not in school. Like they're young enough now. This is kind of the only time we could do it. Um, so we bit the bullet and jumped on it and it was amazing. Such an incredible way to see parts of America we would never have seen otherwise. And, uh, you know, and just got to continue the ride a bit longer with this extraordinary show that I loved. So it was, uh, it was a, yeah, a, a win-win, amazing experience. Well, Tim, you certainly are, have chalked up some, some extraordinary shows. I, I went through them all, but, but not only are you doing those great shows, you're working with some giants of directors, uh, Scott Ellis, Bartlett Sher, Simon Phillips, yeah. Mar- Mary Zimmerman, Marianne Elliott, Stephen Doldry. Yeah. That's, that's quite a, a, a call list of directors. It's pretty staggering to me when you put, when, yeah, when you say it like that, it, uh, actually, when I, I look through it, and I'm, it is an amazing group of directors. Um, I feel very, very fortunate and uh, to see them work. Uh, and, and they're all very different in the way they work. But, you know, that it's just more and more experience, isn't it? It's more, um, more learning for me, which is uh, fantastic. Yeah. Now, now, take me out. Um, you've read the reviews, no doubt. Do, do, you, do you tend to read reviews of the shows that you're in? Uh, I do. I, I read them with, uh, with uh, look, I don't, I don't tend to take it to heart. I don't think if there's stuff in there that's negative. Um, you know, I myself have gone to the theatre a lot and some stuff I love and some stuff I don't. And, and I also can see that shows, uh, they're, they're for different audiences sometimes, you know, and you can't please everyone. And uh, I might see a show that I hate, but I can acknowledge that, look, that's just not for me and there's other people that will love that. I know they will love that. So I think as long as as long as you're confident in your process and what you're doing and the team that you're working with, I think you have to just kind of trust that, you know, um, because I've read reviews of stuff that I've been in, whether it's been about me or other people in the show or the production itself, that I've totally disagreed with and uh, you know, and I've read some that maybe I have, uh, I, that I have agreed with. Um, so I will read them, but, uh, but I try to read them in a sort of objective way and, and not take any of the negative stuff on too much, as I guess we all would. No one wants, no one wants to be criticised. No, no, not at all, not at all. Well, the reviews to take me out have been uh, splendiferous. Uh, and as you talked about earlier, the, um, the houses are, are, are packing them in um, for yeah. houses. It's and you've great. had an extension. I think you finish on June 11 now, so you've got about yeah, it's, six yeah, weeks. Yeah, it's, it's, it's extended for an extra couple of weeks. Uh, they would have liked to go more, I think, but there's another show coming into that theatre, so they can't. Um, the, I mean, the, it's, the, it's a double-edged sword for me. It's, it's like another couple of weeks away from the family, which is very hard. Uh, it does now close right before the Tonys which means I'll be in New York for the Tony Awards and I'm excited for that as a, just as a way to round off this trip, I think, and in a way for me say goodbye to New York because I, I don't see myself being able to come back for a while with, um, you know, with a young family and, and uh, not wanting to be from, uh, away from them and from Australia. Um, again for another big chunk of time i feel like i've kind of had my time here and uh being able to sit back we we close on the saturday the the tonys are on the sunday i'll be able to just chill that night have a beer and watch the tonys and use that as my kind of farewell to new york i think that sounds uh, sounds good to me yeah Uh, 
Tim, thanks for this chat. I, I, we look forward to seeing you back in Australia. Um, yeah, you, I'm excited in, to get back. You're in Melbourne or Sydney now? Going to be in Melbourne. Right. Mm-hmm. Good place to be. Good place to be. Yeah. 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 And uh, then we look forward to seeing you on Melbourne stages. Yeah. Are you in Melbourne, Pete? Or are you in Sydney? No, Where are you? I'm in, I'm in Sydney. Okay. Well, we'll catch up when you pop down for a visit or when I squeeze up yeah, there. Yes, so when you pop up, yes, we'll see you somewhere, no doubt. Um, mm. Thanks, Tim. Have a, have a great day off. Thank you, mate. Lovely to talk to you. Take Me Out by Richard Greenberg is playing at the Helen Hayes Theatre until June 11th. If you're in New York, go see this wonderful play, revived by an outstanding cast and including my guest today, the delightful Tim Wright. Chook us to Tim for the remainder of the season. We look forward to seeing you back in Australia on a stage later in the year. Fingers crossed. And congratulations for a stellar run over the past decade and a bit, following your dreams and embracing the Broadway stage. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Don't forget that the podcast will be presented live as part of the 2022 Vivid Festival in Sydney. Check out the Vivid website for ticketing. It's all free, but you do have to register. I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time on Stages. Stages.